Sales Tuners, Episode 114, Amy Volus, CEO at Avenue Talent Partners. Salesforce is a place for data. It's not the place for my reps to be successful. The place for my reps to be successful is in front of our customers. So how do we do that? This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Stephen Pressfield, who said, the problem with friends and family is that they know us as we are. They are invested in maintaining us as we are. The last thing we want to remain is as we are. Today, I'm joined by someone who has closed more than $100 million in sales over her 20-year career. Amy Volus has served every role in the sales organization, from spearheading national accounts for ZipRecruiter, Guild, Indeed, and Yahoo as a top performer, to exceeding expectations at Jacobson and Datatrend. And to think, that all came after a huge layoff and her CEO saying, if you want to stay here, you've got to get into sales. With no training or support, she was thrown to the deep end of enterprise sales, and there was no looking back. Today, Amy runs Avenue Talent Partners, where she helps startups scale their own sales teams with her career full of learnings. If you're looking for quick tips on how you can hack your way to the top, let me be clear, this is not the episode for you. Amy talks about the real work involved in becoming great in sales. Sales tuners, before we dive in, I want to let you know I'm getting really close to wrapping up an essentials training course that I will launch in early January. I've had more than 70 sales reps go through the live course, and now I've put together a 10-week recorded course for more people to be able to access it. While it's not for everyone, if you want to see 2019's W-2 be the biggest one of your career, you might consider making an investment in yourself. To be the first to hear about it, when it goes live, go to salestuners.com slash essentials and sign up for updates. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salesooners.com slash 114. But now let's get to the conversation where Amy talks about why having a North Star in your career is so important. I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek and understanding your why. And through the last 20 years, especially being in and around the recruitment industry for a lot of my sales career, It was about seeing the broken bits and pieces that needed to be addressed. And so every single day, no matter whether it's a hard day or it's going to be an easy day, which I don't think that they're easy days, but no matter what lies ahead, I always anchor myself to why I started this business and why I do it. And it's to help companies get their businesses right with people and they can't do it without people. And then on the flip side, it's to help people with their careers and their lives. And that's a really big deal. And I love that. That's the stuff that just gets my uh, blood flowing in the morning. Well, that motivates me as well. And you know, one of the things that my listeners are always telling me is they like to hear about the personal side of, of, of our guests before we get into all the business stuff. So you've told me before that uh, if you were to do anything else outside of sales and startups, it would be to be the female version of James Bond. So tell me what that's all about. When I lived in Italy as a child, there was no television. And so my grandparents would send us VHS tapes. Yes, I go that far back. And we would get 
this big library of old school James Bond movies. And I just was obsessed. And everything about being a secret agent and being a super sleuth and living this elegant lifestyle and, you know, just being this amazing sort of force to be reckoned with, which is all things 007. How cool would it be if I were the female version of that? And so there you go. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. And, and being able to travel all around Italy too, like seeing some of the places, maybe you could operate some of those missions. I think that would be uh, a lot of fun. Yes. Although the gadgets back then were not as cool as they are today. But yes. <laughs> uh, nor was the CGI from the movie. So uh, <laughs> Amy, as you know, uh, in this show, we talk about the attitude, actions, and abilities that have led to your success. So, so tell me about uh, your business today. What is Avenue Talent, and why does a typical customer uh, decide to buy from you? We are focused solely on helping startups and growing small businesses scale their business through salespeople. So we place salespeople anywhere from your five-year AE all the way through executive leadership. And so they come to us because we really, and it's not anything special or unique. It's really about celebrating the power of relationships. And there is a lot of time and energy and process that we put in on our end to take that off of our customers' plates and to help them get it right with people that can really take their business to the next level. I want to talk all about some of the attributes that you look for in the successful reps and, and, and when you're doing your placement. But before we do that, uh, you know, sales hasn't always been the language that you speak fluently. So take me way back. And how, how did you even get started in sales? I come from a long line of um, sales folk in my family. And I was always fascinated by business, by the deal making side of things, by the strategy. My grandfather was incredibly inspiring to me. Um, he had an eighth grade education, was a depression baby, was a World War II fire pilot, and then this titan of his industry in sales. And I was always fascinated by that, but I was intimidated by it too. And I started my career more from a recruiting perspective. And this was before 9-11 and right around that time. And I loved the company. It was fantastic. Some of my dearest colleagues and friends today came from that place. And we all admired the CEO, we would have taken a bullet for him. Well, a great sales lesson that I learned early on is we had all of our eggs in one basket. So I was a technical recruiter supporting this monster account that we had. And 9-11 hit. And it was almost like overnight, all of our business, well, not all of it. Initially, it was like a 60% reduction of what we were doing there happened. And uh, survived 12 layoffs. And after the last round of layoffs, the CEO sat me down and said, look, I don't need recruiting support. There's nothing to recruit for. We've lost our biggest account. If you want to stay here, which we'd love to have you do that, it's called get into sales. And wow. <laughs> um, yeah, there was no training. There was no support. I was thrown into the deep end. And this was all enterprise sales. So dealing with at the time, like the MCIs and the Walgreens of the world and and whatnot. And yeah, uh, trial and error. And there's no looking back. I fell in love immediately. It was incredibly challenging, but incredibly rewarding. Yeah. And that's, and that's true trial by fire. You know, I've had VPs of sales that that I've worked for in the past. And, and it, what's interesting, and maybe you've experienced this as well, but it seems like a lot of other people inside the organization are always jealous of the salespeople. Maybe it's the money they make, how they're uh, lauded at, uh, you know, the company events and that kind of stuff. And 
one of the VPs of sales, uh, who's actually been a guest on the show as well, he kept saying to everybody who would ever vocally or ver- verbally say something, he's like, hey, come carry a bag. You can join our team, but just know that when you don't put your number up, you're fired. Yep. Sink or swim. And so, yeah, anybody can do it. It's sales is easy, right? Just come do it. It just, when you don't perform, you're going to be back out on the street looking for something else. So uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. You, so you jumped right into the deep end, trial by fire into the enterprise space. I mean, that's incredible. So, uh, so let's talk about that from the perspective of what makes good salespeople great. Cause you didn't have any training. So it's not just training that makes good sales great. So from, from the work that you do today, from your 20 years experience, from you doing the stuff, what are you looking for? What are those attributes, Amy, that the salespeople need to have today? I think you have to have, and so many of my clients talk about this when we do our kickoff and discovery with them, we talk about this, right? And, and the common theme, and I would agree with this to answer your question specifically, is I've always had a thirst for understanding. I have curiosity to the max where I want to understand what makes somebody tick? What makes your business tick? Why are you doing what you're doing? If you've had some setbacks, well, what did you learn from that? What's going on here? If we're going to do business together, let's get into the space in between and really have a real conversation. If you do that, if you feel that way, and and you don't have to always be this extroverted personality, but if you really care about what you're trying to do, and you want to parlay that into the marketplace because you believe in it, that should be your guiding force of peeling back the layers to understand your marketplace, to understand theirs, to understand what their business nuances may or may not be, to understand other businesses like them that you're doing business with, to give them some tangible, tactical, actionable insights. All of that stuff is the stuff, and I'm air quoting the word stuff, that has served me incredibly well is to ask questions and not just questions for the sake of questions and discovery for the sake of discovery, because you can do too much of that and it can hurt you. But it's really having that common ground of, I am genuinely fascinated or interested or curious about why you even agreed to meet with me. What are you hoping to really get out of this? What does that really look like for you? If I'm able to do these things for you, what does that look like? If I've pleased you, if I've let you down or others have let you down like me, what does that look like? And then shutting my mouth and listening and doing something with that. That's the stuff. That notion of salespeople shutting their mouth is it's starting to become a constant theme on this show, which I'm grateful for because I've been preaching it for 10 years. But you're right. Salespeople talk way too much. You just said something that I've not heard anyone else verbalize. But I think I agree with you. And you said that too much discovery can actually hurt you. Can you elaborate on that? There is an incredible amount of sales coaching and training that is readily available to any of us. Whether you pay for it or you don't, it's out there. And the big takeaway and the common theme with a lot of these different concepts is the power of asking questions and the power of discovery. And I'll give you a really good example. I have a client. And part of their process is to go through a demo presentation. They have all the support. There's a lot of preparation. It's not just throwing somebody to the wolves. And this individual knocked it out of the park, but this is why they didn't get to the next step. They spent 20 minutes up front of their time together on these really powerful, high-impact questions and then did nothing with the information throughout the rest of the presentation. And so I think. 
People feel like I've got to ask questions. It's how I open up a conversation. I've got to uncover pain, all that stuff that we hear about. But one of two things happens. If And, and Gong has really good data that supports this. There is a thing uh, or there is such a thing as asking too many questions and then you're turning somebody off or they feel like you've got the bright lights on them. There's a lot of different psychology that goes around that. But then the bigger thing that I find, I'm a big believer that there is no such thing as too many questions, but it's how you ask them and when you ask them and peppering them at the right times. It doesn't just have to be up front. But on the flip side of that, if you do not celebrate active listening, and I'm trying to get this hashtag to go viral, two ears, one mouth. If you do not do something with what they're telling you, or you can't connect the dots, or you can't be intuitive to know how to process that, that's where that discovery piece or asking too many questions or questions in and of themselves will work against you because then your buyer is not going to feel like you even heard them. What was the point of asking me the yeah, question? The what was the point? Of it? Exactly. Yep. That was the takeaway that I was getting from that. And I, I'm taking notes here and I highlighted it, but use the information that you get. Or again, what's the point? It was worthless. You were just doing it to go through the motions. Because I was going to ask you, like, you know, everything that, you know, people continue to tell me is like, I got to find the right questions to ask, or I got to ask better questions. And then so the question becomes, well, what are the questions? that we do need to be asking. And I think you nailed it is you can be as curious as you want. Just make sure you're doing something with the information that, that you get. One question typically leads to another question. If you're really listening, and if here's a tip for anybody that's listening to this, if you're not sure what the next question should be, people like to talk about themselves, right? That's all been proven. We know this. You can simply say, well, tell me more. How so? Why? And, and you can continue to get them talking. I think the point here is if you don't find out what's going on in earnest, right? Forget about pain, forget about whatever. If you don't know what the score is, as I like to say, and you're not listening to them, you are going to alienate the mess out of them because they're going to feel like they spent all of this time wasting their time and you have no idea what they've just told you or what to do with it. And it'll turn them off, not turn them on. So if you don't understand what they're saying, it's okay to say, why, how, tell me more. That's totally right. There's a tactic that, that I train and that I use myself as well. It's, it's the notion of going deaf. And so if, if someone says something, there's a couple different ways to do it. One is if I truly don't understand it, I will look at them and you know, kind of like turn my head like, what was that? Right. And, and the way I increase my inflection and they will elaborate. Right. Because like even if I say to you, Amy, can you repeat what you just said? If all I'm looking to do is literally have you repeat verbatim what you just said, you can't do it. You're going to elaborate. You're going to say it a different way. Right. And so your concept will tell me more. I'm going deaf. Right. But I also sometimes say it even if I heard exactly what they said, but I want to highlight the point for them. I want them to hear themselves say something important again. So I, I, I love that. I think it's fantastic. I want to dive, Amy, into this notion. Uh, I mean, it's, it's building upon what we're talking about with active listening. And I'm going to help you get this hashtag two ears, one mouth trending. But you, you've talked about how the buyer experience can actually save or sometimes kill a, a deal, right? And, and at one of the stories that I read about you, you were out there looking to actually procure a software product. And just the, the buying process today was a mess. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, it was incredibly painful. I'm out in the trenches myself. I will never fully leave anything that has to do with sales because I love it so much. 
but I also run this company and I have to procure things for this organization to run. And so I'm fascinated by how people approach me, by meeting it up for them because I have empathy, because I've been there, I've done that. And it just crashes and burns. And so I think the example that you read about was the handoff between an SDR to an AE. I had no idea what was going on. They didn't talk internally. It was a really icky process. The first thing that the account executive said to me was, so why are we here today? And I had spent 25 minutes of my time talking to the SDR about exactly why we were going to be there and exactly what I needed and exactly what my pain was. And it was incredibly frustrating. And thinking about what we just talked about, Jim, in terms of asking questions and then listening, it was like going through the motions of, so what are you hoping to get out of this technology? So what are you using today? All the stuff that I had already covered, but sure, I'll tell you. And then not listening to me and having his own agenda that come hell or high water, he was going to get through and just talked at me. And I was so completely turned off that even though their software had all the bells and whistles that I needed, I knew about their competition. I reached out to the competition and inside of a week, I signed a deal. So it just, you know, it's it's one of those things that there are companies talking about removing friction from the buying process and meeting customers where they are. And now more than ever, we can do that with all of the different methods that we can communicate. That's where companies really need to pay attention is forget about your sales process for a second. What does your buyer want? What do they need? And the best way to do that is to ask your existing customers, why did you buy from us? What was icky? What was your friction? What made it easy for you to choose us? All of that stuff is, if you listen, that holds the keys to the castle. It feels to me, Amy, like as much as sales is evolving and it's happening happening very rapidly, right? It's still very much set in an old school way. Like, you know, Salesforce comes out and the, these are the pipeline stages and, and most companies take them by default and say, okay, well, this is where this customer is. And they have to perfectly fit into each of those stages when that's just not how buyers buy today. So how do you balance that notion of the SDR to AE handoff or, you know, I have to do the discovery before I can demo you because now you've got Drift and you've got the chatbot and you've got all this, you know, all the product enablement. Like, how do you balance all that? I think it's okay to say we've got all these resources, right? But where are we getting the most engagement? It, it's really doing an audit and analysis of when your buyers are coming to you, what does that look like? And instead of thinking about leads and what leads are qualified and what leads aren't, how do we pass them through? I think it's just about the fact that for our customers, for our marketplace, for the way that they want to do business, what does that look like? And once you define that, guess what? In two years from now, it's going to look completely different. But you've really got to get a handle on what that looks like and forget about your stages in the process. One of my clients does this incredibly well. And I subscribe to this philosophy of it doesn't matter. Salesforce is a place for data. It's not the place for my reps to be successful. The place for my reps to be successful is in front of our customers. So how do we do that? They completely removed their SDR function and they celebrate the fact that they want their AEs in every part of the sales process. They're kicking it old school. That's the place that I grew up. That's what I think we should think about is having people that can engage the customer to understand what they want and to move them through whatever the process that they want to be in. If it's a drift chat box or if it's some other thing that's happening, great. Have somebody there that's able to respond and loop in the person that's available so that it can be a collaborative chat and not this icky handoff. 
I really do like that notion. And I, I think to me, it was 2011 timeframe when uh, Aaron Ross's Predictable Revenue book came out that we started to really just go headfirst into this uh, a notion of specialization. I think we went way too far into over-specialization uh, of that because as an AE, as a rep, and I know you've carried every role uh, in, in the org as well, I want to own the process from start to finish, right? Because I th- I know an SDR can ruin a deal for me just as much as they can save me time. So I, I-, I totally subscribe to that as well. I, I want to talk, because I know this is a pet peeve of, of both you and I, uh, is-, is everyone wanting to hack their way through everything. There's books and <laughs> websites and blogs. Yeah, hack your career, hack B2B sales, hack life hacking, biohack. How, how do we get past that? And what-, what advice do you have for people out there looking for that information? So you have to understand what the hack means. It's the quick fix. It's the shortcut. And for anybody that wants to stay in sales for the long haul, there is no way to hack anything, right? There's efficiency to be created. Hacking and efficiency, those are two totally different things. But in my opinion, and and I've read a lot of the books when it comes to hacking, just to sort of satisfy my curiosity. And I will tell you, it's just... It's not anything, it's more transactional, right? If, if you want to be in a transactional sales atmosphere where you're only as good as your last number and you don't have a voice and you're out the next day, great, hack your way to whatever you want to hack it to. But I think on the flip side, especially for enterprise sales, which is my first love, you can't hack it. There's no way to hack your buyer journey. There's no way to hack your, your customer relationship. And so the best way to solve for that is to take it with a grain of salt and to do the work, right? It's about understanding how to connect the dots for your customers, how to connect the dots for your own success, how to put those two things together where it's not just about you and your agenda, but it really solves for them because they can smell that a mile away. Um, It's all of those things. And I think it's waking up and getting yourself into a place where this is the work that needs to be done. This is my plan of attack. I'm going to execute on that. And the biggest takeaway is paying attention to your pipeline. Um, remember what I said earlier, where I learned early on in my career, it's how I got into sales. We put all of our eggs in one basket. I will never, ever, ever lose sight of the power of a pipeline. It speaks louder than anything else could. And if it's light, even though you're having a great month, a great quarter, a great year, that'll come back and bite you. And so I think it's about the work of not just, oh, I hacked this and I got this big deal and I'm going to sit back and celebrate it. It's how do you stay for the long haul? And the way that you stay for the long haul is to do the work. Pre-Jamie, I just want to like do a handstand <laughs> right now and just celebrate that. And, and I hope that everyone hears it. You know, David Cancel from Drift says, reps and sets, do the work, carry the water. I love hearing what you just said. It's so true. Guys, if you're listening, do the work, right? And, and here's the thing. Careers are long. Jobs are short. Careers are long. And you can end up selling to the same company or the same person three, four, five different times over the course of your career, but you can't do it if you're hacking it every single time. Build a real relationship, listen, understand what they're trying to solve for. And then when you change the logo on your polo shirt and go somewhere else, they're going to come with you as well because they built a real relationship with you. My goodness, you got me excited. Uh, All right. Off my soapbox and and with the notion of not hacking, right? I have a lot of reps. I hear a lot of reps telling me that cold calling just doesn't work anymore. But I know you sold an eight-figure deal that you initiated by a cold call. I want to hear about this. 
<laughs> I did. Cold calling is not dead. It's it's how you do it. It's the number that you dial. Maybe it's not a landline, but it's a cell phone now. And in this particular case, I knew that this individual had come into the organization. So we had done a smaller deal with them and they came in through the website. It was super choppy. By the time I got to them, we had crashed and burned. Uh, but I knew that they were onto something big. This is one of those big unicorns that you read about that's always in the news. I'll leave it there. And I knew that they were going to be really scaling their business just based upon the language that they were using with me. And so at the time, they had no real team built out to support what it is that I was doing, but I knew that was on their roadmap. And so I paid attention and I stayed in touch. And I kept on with what was happening in their marketplace and the news and others like them that were popping up and where they were struggling. And given what they had shared with me in the tail end, and I took fast and furious notes about everything that they were saying to me and about what was important to them, about how we had fallen short. And when they hired this newly minted executive, I used technology to find his cell phone. <laughs> and I called him and he was on the way to the airport. And I said, I've been dying to talk to you. And these are the things that are top of mind from the last time that we talked. I don't know how that fits into your priority list. But if that's still a priority, here's what I've done behind the scenes to solve for it so that we can help you do X, Y, and Z. And here's what it looks like. And he was like, book a time on my calendar for when I'm back. And that was it. Outstanding. Outstanding. Literally. I mean... Eight figure deal. I mean, it wasn't it. There was a lot of work to be done, but that that got me the meeting. <laughs> of course, no, but 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 it was initiated by a cold call, and, it was. and they still work, right? I mean, I know another thing that you 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 preach about is like it feels like in today's world we're hiding behind all the technology, right? Like, don't get me wrong, you know, one of the uh, the, the sponsor of this show and the person who introduced us, I'm, I'm an investor in that company. It's a great technology. You got uh, which is Costello. You got Salesloft. You got all these different technology tools, including email, that are just taking the human aspect out of sales. And if you get back to the basics of just having a conversation with another human being, you're going to be much better off. Exactly. Well, the tools that you mentioned and the, the products and services that fly around when it comes to sales stack, there are remarkable options out there. Salesloft, you mentioned them. They're fantastic. But the one thing that I have an issue with, not not with them, but with anybody that just uses the word, I put them in a cadence. What does that mean? And it's your cadence. It's not theirs, right? And so if I touch you 27 times in my cadence, and yes, there are the studies that prove the more you stay top of mind and relevant, which I completely agree with, but it's how. And if it's just riddling them with bad emails, and now with all Let's the just call it spam. Yes. And with the LinkedIn integration of yes. now I can send yes. messages there. I mean, it's it's a little heartbreaking because there's more bad behavior with that stuff than good. And while I appreciate wholeheartedly efficiency, I completely disagree with the fact that there's this concept of personalization at scale. It does it just <laughs> doesn't exist. It it just doesn't. 
I literally, we could talk about that topic for probably another two or three <laughs> hours, but I want to be cognizant of your time. So Amy, I'm going to take a quick break so that we can say thank you to my sponsors. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales sooners, you don't go away there. We'll be right back. Costello is pioneering the way companies build and execute sales playbooks. The platform helps sales reps prepare for calls, ask timely questions, tell relevant stories, and sync insights back to their CRM, all while showing managers and reps the gaps in every single deal so they can work them together to move them forward. With Costello, sales leaders can identify what's working on the front line and replicate success across their entire team. Learn more and see a demo at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back. And it's time for the money round. Amy, are you ready for the money round? I am. Bring it on, Jim. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Long game. The long game view. I look through that lens. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? Being a sponge, spending time with the top reps that I'd be working alongside and just listening to them and learning from them. Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose. Love to win. Because even losing is an opportunity to win. And so I focus on the glass half full versus everything that's wrong in the world. What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? Top of Mind by John Hall. Love it. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Amy's suggestion of Top of Mind for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. There you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book for Top of Mind, which is the first time that's been recommended. So I'm going to have to go check it out myself. Amy, what's currently at the top of your bucket list? I want to go on this thing called the Lindblad Expedition. It's sponsored by National Geographic, and I want to go to the Galapagos and swim with the sea turtles. <laughs> you can do that there with them. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Look at your pipeline. It tells you everything you need to know. I know I say it a lot, but I really could have spent the whole day continuing this conversation with Amy. My goodness, is she a wealth of knowledge, and the work she puts into her craft, it's evident. I look forward to getting back to the States next year and finding a way to work with her in some capacity. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, use the information you get. Every salesperson has been told they need to ask great questions. But here's the deal. If you don't actually listen to the buyer and use the information they give you, what was the point of it to begin with? Yes, you have to uncover some kind of pain and tie it to a compelling event. But how many times have you made your prospect feel like they've wasted their time with you by asking questions they've already answered, either to you or an SDR who set the meeting for you? I understand you have an agenda you want to get through, but as Amy says, you have hashtag two ears, one mouth for a reason. Number two, connect the dots. Salesforce is a place for data, not a place for reps to be successful. I know you have sales stages to update, but forget about them for just a minute. Go ask the last five customers who bought from you what they liked about the sales experience they had with you. What didn't they like? Where did they feel there was friction? As you start to understand what your buyers actually want, you can rebuild your sales process to take advantage of the moments they found delightful. Combine that with the first takeaway, and you're on the verge of getting the keys to the castle. Number three, there are no hacks. It seems like everyone wants and expects immediate success in today's world. 
yet I've met very few sales reps early in their career that want to actually put in the work. Here's the reality. If you want to stay in sales for the long haul, you've got to realize there aren't any hacks. You can create efficiency, sure, but those come from actually doing the work and understanding what you should do more of and what you should abandon. With so much information available to you these days, including podcasts like this one, it's easy to think you know everything. But to truly connect the dots, you need to spend time in the trenches talking to your customers. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me, at SalesTuners, or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there.